everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wake Up and Grow. I am your host, Natalie Bittinger, and today's episode is titled Cleansed. And I want to start us off by reading John chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. And I'm reading from the ESV for this today. So yeah, go ahead and get your Bibles out or up on your phone and turn to John chapter 13 verses 4 through 5. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So before we get too far into this episode, well, and it has to do with the episode, but I have a confession to make. I genuinely enjoy cleaning and organizing. Some people might find that weird or messed up, whatever you can think, whatever you want about me, but I genuinely enjoy cleaning and organizing things. When I have the time, obviously. So if you see that my room or my bed is not in perfect order, it's simply because I didn't have time or forgot about it. Whether it's like a room, a small area, or just a single cabinet, seeing the items within order, clean, pristine, all this, it brings me some form of contentment and pride in the work I've done. And I also enjoy folding laundry, washing the dishes, cleaning and organizing my room or my spaces throughout the house. I and like organized handwritten notes with color-coded highlighters. In short, I like cleanliness and being clean and organization. I say that and then I'm realizing I don't know that there's anyone that enjoys staying dirty. No, I don't think we enjoy the feeling of the dirt and grime drying on us after we've done some hard work outside. And I know for me at least, a nice hot shower sounds amazing after a long day at work. But being physically clean is just one aspect of being clean. Being cleansed spiritually is another level of cleanliness And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today, is being spiritually cleansed. So, in early Christianity, or I guess Judaism, before Christ was on the earth, and during his time as well, there were lots of rituals that took place in honor of God and that were commanded by God. And one of those overarching rituals was a cleansing ritual. And there's multiple different types of cleansing rituals for different situations. Um, 
but most of these were instructed by God for his people. There were some cleansing rituals that were used for healing or actual cleaning or making the unclean clean. You know, we have examples like in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 6, which was used for the cleansing of lepers or those who had some form of skin disease. And it says, And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption or a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. I'll read 7 too, because that makes a little more sense as well. But if the eruption or scab spreads on the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And then he would be pronounced unclean. And then there's also over in Numbers, chapter 19, verses 17 through 19. This is one of those cleaning rituals that's described here. For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the, sprinkle it on the tent and all furnishings, and on the persons who were there, and on whoever touched the bone, or the slain, or the dead, or the grave. And the clean shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus on the seventh day he shall cleanse him, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and at the evening he shall be clean. So those are some cleaning rituals for those who had either touched a dead person, which was considered to make you unclean, or had a skin disease. But a lot of the cleansing rituals mentioned in the Old Testament were actually used to prepare religious leaders or priests for entering the holy place in God's temple. And we see this with Moses' brother Aaron over in Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, verses 12 through 15. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also, and put coats on them, and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve as priests for me. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So those are just a couple different examples of the cleansing rituals. There's many more um, throughout early Judaism and Christianity. But these cleansing rituals were pretty commonplace within the Jewish community during and prior to Jesus's time on earth. And they were often carried out 
either by the unclean individual or someone who was considered clean, like a priest or a leader of the community. But one of the most important cleansing rituals one can partake in is actually carried out by Christ himself. And this is the cleansing of our souls from sin via Jesus' salvation and crucifixion on the cross. There are multiple prophetic messages in the Old Testament about Jesus' crucifixion, uh, namely in the book of Isaiah, that's where we find a large portion of them. Interestingly, humans, we look for patterns, and me being someone that likes to tie things to things and have things all organized, you know, and so I'm kind of geeking out a bit as I, as I read through um, and compared some of the prophetic um, messages about Christ's crucifixion to Christ's crucifixion, but one of those, and it's kind of a long one, so I will only read it once in the and then just make comments about it. But is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, and then it goes into chapter 53, verse 12. So it's kind of long, but hang in with me. Behold. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of, a children, of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle my nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told they may see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. that was Isaiah but before that I actually pulled some scripture from Exodus and simply because there are some similarities between the sacrifice of the sacrificial lamb and Jesus's death on the cross and this is kind of what I was geeking over a bit this week as I was reading but it's Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 22. And one of those main similarities that we see is the use of this hyssop branch. But in this chapter in Exodus, God is giving Abraham, or not Abraham, Moses, instructions on the first Passover meal. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. And I'll go ahead and read 23 as well. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. But this is echoing, or not echoing, uh, prophesying over John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. So, for those of you who do not know, I am obsessed with plants, and so this mention of hyssop was like, well, wait, what is, what was hyssop used for? What, what, what symbol, symbols did it have? All that. And so I did some research, and hyssop is a bushy herb. It is from the mint family, so it's very fragrant and aromatic with its in its smell but it has medicinal properties it's mainly like a balm which used to be put on bruises it's good for sore throats mouth and nose ailments as well as some lung infections 
there's a specific species of hyssop, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the scientific name for you. But in Hebrew, it was called Izab. And that's what is mentioned in Leviticus that I read earlier um, with the cleansing rituals for lepers. But this usage of the hyssop branches in both the sacrifice in Exodus and then Jesus' sacrifice in John adds a purification element to them, in my opinion, and the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites, as we know, was to let we used to let the angel of death know that this household was quote-unquote clean um, and was to be passed over. Jesus's blood itself was a cleaning agent. It washed away our sins, wiping the slate clean, and it's presenting us as pure before God. So with me talking about all this cleansing, all this this idea of being clean, some of you may be wondering why is it important that I be clean? You know, what's what's the point of being clean? Something I have come to have revealed to me through reading the Bible, spending time with God, looking at my own life, is that God and sin cannot occupy the same space. They cannot coexist. And this is pointed out to us first when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. I almost said Gethsemane. Wrong garden. But once they sinned, God had to banish them from Eden and from his intimate presence. God cannot be intimately, he cannot be closely present where sin is also closely present because he's too pure, he's too holy. There is no evil within him. And so he can't be present with evil. When God casts Satan and a third of the angels from heaven, he sent them to a place where his presence did not exist. And this is what we know as hell. When we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus through salvation, we are then given the capacity to allow God to intimately occupy our lives. And this is this cleansing. This is when and where a relationship with him begins. This is where the term that Paul uses in Philippians, to live is Christ, or, or to when or when we are living our lives for Christ and not ourselves, this is when that starts. And sometimes we don't really realize how dirty we are until we've been cleaned. You know how like you'll get in a bath and then get out and it's like, oh, this water is disgusting. Sometimes we don't really realize our need for Christ until he cleanses us, taking away what was hindering us from him. And then we realize, oh my goodness, I've been missing out on this intimacy with God that I can now have because I've been purified, I've been clean, and now he can, he can live in me. 
Now, I don't say all this to say that if you do fall back into sin, which you ultimately will, we are human, we make mistakes, when you dirty yourself again, that doesn't mean you are cast off from God forever. That's why his grace and forgiveness are there. They are at the ready to watch you clean again. To continue with the bathing analogy, the bath has been drawn and the soap in his of our waiting. All you have to do is ask and receive that. But to be cleansed by Christ himself is to be fully and completely cleansed from the inside out. And that that is the cleansing that I desire for myself, that I desire for you. And I hope you accept it from him. I want to thank you again for listening and remind you that Wake Up and Grow releases episodes bi-weekly. This is every other Monday. And I encourage you to go give Wake Up and Grow a follow on Instagram at Podcast. That's spelled W-U-G podcast and go find wake up and grow on facebook again i'm natalie biddinger and this has been wake up and grow